from the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 3. And uh, we're just finishing up, of course, Easter, uh, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And obviously, when Jesus went back into heaven, He left us a job to do. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. And I've titled the message this morning, It Took a Miracle. It Took a Miracle. I think about a song that was popular in years gone by. My Father is omnipotent, and that you can't deny. A God of might and miracles, tis written in the sky. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when He saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. And I'll just preface the message this morning by saying I'm as bad as anybody. I take a look around, and maybe you do too, at our world and even the church and the current state of affairs, and, and it can be depressing when we look at, at the state of morality in our culture, and, and it seems that uh, the things of God are pushed to the side, and even in the church, uh, it seems that often we've abandoned uh, what God intended for us to be. But I'm reminded and encouraged when I think back to the early believers. And my goodness, if you think we live in a pagan world today, certainly these early believers who began to follow the teaching of Jesus Christ, they lived in ancient Rome, which was an immoral, pagan, adulterous, wicked place. There were idols everywhere. There were temples. There was any type of sin that you can imagine was rampant in that society. And my friend, if they could take in the midst of that society and they turn that world upside down, then I know that you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, if we obey what God has told us to do, we can have an impact in our society and in our world and in our community as well. And I want us to begin... Uh, In Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18, many of you will recognize this as the Great Commission. Jesus, of course, having been raised from the dead, He's appeared to His disciples. He's walked and talked with them. And now as He prepares to go back up into heaven, He gives what we call the Great Commission. He says in verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The last words of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I preached the Sunday before Easter on the last words of Jesus, and and really, uh, those words on the cross were the last words of Jesus before he died. But if we really want to talk about the last words of Jesus on the earth, it's Matthew 28. Jesus has been resurrected. He is giving his disciples his final command, his final instructions before he ascends back up into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit. And his last command is to go. You know, we're not Fort Apache. By the way, I think sometimes the mentality of the church is, you know, the world is a wicked place and we build Fort Apache and we're just going to keep the world out. And we're, you know, our favorite hymn is the old hymn, Hold the Fort. We're just going to hold the fort against the forces of evil. 
And I hope the world doesn't conquer us. Well, my friend, the best defense is a good offense. And Jesus did not command us to be on the defensive. He gave us a weapon and He gave us the gospel of life to go out into a lost and a dying world and carry that message to that world. And the last words of Jesus were to go. Go into all the world, into every nation. Doesn't matter what their color, what their nationality, what their religion, what their morality is. You go. And you go and you teach them. And you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So He gave them a message to go. But He didn't simply give them a message to go. They're going to need power. And if you know there in Acts chapter 1, verse number 4, there the Bible says, "...being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me, for John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And it, I have to stop there for just a minute because that is so like us. Jesus gives a command. He gives a promise. And we're not content to simply trust and obey. We've got a question we want answered. You know, how many times, instead of focusing on obeying Jesus and doing what He's commanded us to do, do we say, oh, by the way, Lord, I got a question. Well, what about these folks over here? What about my neighbor? What about this guy? What about this situation? Well, what about this? Lord, answer my question. And they asked Jesus a question in verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know. I would say probably 90% of the questions that we have, and I've got plenty, just like you, Jesus' answer is, it is not for you to know. It's not for you to know. Remember uh, Peter, when they were walking on the seashore after Jesus had been resurrected, and they're eating fish, and he says you know, to Peter, go and, and feed my sheep, and, and he's given Peter a command. He's given Peter something he wants him to do. And boy, Peter, what does he say? He looks over at the apostle John, he said, what about him? What about him, Lord? Boy, that, that's us, isn't it? You know, I learned a long time ago, my sister's here, and uh, she was second behind me. You know, my parents had me, and I turned out so good. Let's say, let's try again. Let's have another one. And uh, I don't think they were disappointed when Audrey came along, but they did try again, had another one, third one. But uh, we'll talk about that later. Let's move on before I get in trouble. But, uh, you know, um, I remember growing up that if you got in trouble... And the, and the light got pointed on you, the finger got pointed on you, it was always good to shift that attention. You know, Audrey did it too. You know, Audrey was there too, or Tracy was there in school. We learned that real quick, right? You know, the teacher, you know, hey, he told me to. You, you know, we, we want to shift the responsibility. We want somebody else to share the blame or, or to share that. And, and so often, you know, Jesus is giving Peter an instruction. He gave the disciples an instruction. Go. And, and so often we want to say, well, what about this? What about him? What about her? Listen, I'm preaching this message and some of you are sitting out there and you're going to sit there the whole sermon and you're going to think, boy, I wish so-and-so were here. Or, or, or you know what? I, I, th- th- that's a great message for somebody else because I'm not really a person that likes to talk to people. I'm not a witnessing person. I really can't share my faith. But boy, we really need that message. That, that's really good. We do need to evangelize the world. No, God wants you to evangelize. 
He wants you to share the gospel. Absolutely. Everybody is not a preacher. Everybody's not a talker. Everybody's not a singer. But listen, some of the greatest sermons I've ever heard in my life were not preached with words. Some of the greatest worship that I've ever heard in my life was not sung to a melody. And my friend, you can be a witness without words. You know, I've often quoted, I think it was St. Augustine 1,700 years ago, who said, preach the gospel everywhere. If necessary, use words. God has called you to be a witness. And don't point your finger at somebody else and say, well, what about them? What about this? God has called you to be a witness. There are people who are hurting around you. There are people who are dying. There are people who are lost who don't know the love of Jesus and God needs you to share it. Did you know, I guarantee you, there are people that only you can reach. There are people that only you can reach. You have a talent. You have a relationship with somebody that I don't have, others don't have. Use that for the glory of God and simply share the gospel. And and you're going to say, well, how can I do that? Well, that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. We're going to talk about how can I reach the people around me with the gospel. Well, he says... Uh, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you will receive power. In other words, He said, don't worry about that. I've got that covered. But let me tell you what you are going to receive. You're not going to receive an answer to your question. I'm not going to answer your intellectual curiosity. I'm not going to give you an answer to every question you have, but I tell you I'm going to give you something better. You will receive, not an answer, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus promised the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is the key. You know, you heard me, I think if you were here Sunday night or Wednesday night, we talked about it. My friend, that is the key. The key is to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to let the Spirit of God control our life. That is the only way that we can live and defeat sin in our life. That's the only way that we can be a true effective witness to the world around us is to walk in the power of the Spirit. So He promised the power of the Holy Spirit. And then turn over, if you will. You know the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and Peter preached that great sermon They thought they were all drunk, but Peter says, well, uh, if I can paraphrase, uh, we're drunk, but not with wine. We're drunk with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has filled our heart, and we are going to work and walk under His influence. They were under the influence, all right, but it was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, Peter preaches, and thousands are saved on that day, and chapter 2 ends by simply saying that they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house and ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that should be saved. And chapter 3 is where we're going to pick up. And I want you to notice something in chapter 3 in terms of how we can share our faith. Chapter 3 If you remember that story, Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray and they met a man there. Verse 2 says, A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. 
And Peter said, and fixing his eyes on him with John, I'm sorry, who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now the first thing, my friend, there's three things I want to share with you. How you can be a witness. How we can be a witness. The first thing is our culture and the people around us must be confronted with the miraculous. They must be confronted with the miraculous. Peter and John were on the way to pray. Here was a lame man. You all know the story. You know, there's been children's songs sang about it. We all know silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And of course, what happened? Uh, there in verse number 11, it says, As the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which came through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. One of the reasons, my friend, that the world doesn't pay attention to us is because there's nothing to pay attention to. There's nothing to pay attention to. Somebody said, if the church catches on fire, you won't have to invite anybody to church. They'll come watch it burn. You ever seen a place catch on fire? You know, you see smoke. You know, what's on fire? Everybody goes to see what's on fire. In a spiritual sense... If the church and you and I are on fire for Jesus, the world will come to watch us burn. There must be something different about us. The world must be confronted with the miraculous. If all Christianity is, is a self-help program, where it gives us a list of kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. If that's all Christianity is, is just a list of, of seven things that you can do, like the Ten Commandments, and say, listen, you know, if you'll follow these commandments, you'll have a better marriage. If you'll follow this, you'll have a better life. If you'll follow this, you know, things will be better for you. Listen, I agree 100% and I am absolutely confident that if you follow the teachings of Scripture, you will have a better life. Because God created us, and if you follow the Ten Commandments, you follow the teachings of Jesus, you're going to have a better life overall. But my friend, that is not enough. That is not all Christianity is. 
Christianity is not simply a collection of teachings. Christianity is the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, living in people with the power of the Holy Spirit making us new people. It is God setting people free from bondage. It is God taking sinners and making them saints. It is God doing the miraculous. It is not simply a set of rules. It is the miraculous. And what got their attention was this man who could not walk and he encountered Peter and John and he met the risen Jesus and his life changed forever. We shared some with some testimonies I think a couple of Wednesday nights ago. And I think we need more of that. Listen, we need to know the facts about Jesus. But preaching and witnessing is not rehearsing the facts about something that happened 2,000 years ago. Witnessing and preaching and sharing our faith is revealing the risen living Savior with people. Not talking about the facts about Jesus, but revealing Jesus Himself. Talking about who He is. What has He done for me? Has He saved my life? Has He changed my life? That is the miraculous. People don't need a history lesson. People need to be confronted with Jesus. They need to be confronted with the risen Savior. They need to be confronted with the miraculous that can't be denied. Listen, people can argue facts with you. They can argue about what happened 2,000 years ago. But you know what they can't argue with? They can't argue with the changed life. This is an old story, but I, I, I love it about this little girl uh, many years ago in the 19th century. You know, the Salvation Army would work in big cities and, and uh, you know, alcoholics would be all up and down the street and they would rescue them, try to help them, you know, in the 1800s. And, and they would have these big revivals, these big meetings. And, and this one guy had been just a terrible alcoholic. He didn't take care of his family. And he was saved. And he started working. And he was taking care of his family. And his little girl was there and, and he was giving his testimony at a Salvation Army meeting. And of course, there were always those who were, you know, scoffers, making fun. And, and uh, some guy shouted out in the congregation, You're just dreaming! To the guy giving his testimony. He felt something tap him on his side. And it was a little girl. And she said, Mister, if my daddy's dreaming, don't wake him up. Don't wake him up. You know what people can't argue with? Changed lives. They can argue your facts. But my friend, if, if God has done something miraculous in your life, they cannot argue with that. that. That is a fact that cannot be denied. That is presenting the living Jesus to people. So people must be confronted with the miraculous. We want God to do the miraculous in our lives, in our church, and I, listen, I believe God performs all kinds of miracles. And, and God can still perform miracles today, but I'm not specifically talking about the lame necessarily walking. I'm talking about the spiritually dead coming to life. I'm talking about marriages being restored. I'm talking about people on addiction being set free. I'm talking about people who have no purpose. All of a sudden they have a purpose. That's, what, that's the kind of miracles I'm talking about. That's what people really need. And my friend, that's what Jesus came to do. What did Jesus say? I've come to destroy the works of the devil. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So number one, if we want to reach people for Jesus, we have to confront them with the miraculous. They have to be confronted with something they cannot explain. And then, secondly, look, look there in verse 14 and 15. 
Not only must they be confronted, but they must be convicted. Look what Peter said. He's talking to his Jewish brethren. And uh, remember, Peter's trying to grow a church here. I mean, he's brand new. You know, he just got started. He just came off, you know, the restoration program because he denied Jesus three times. You know, cursed and swore and abandoned Jesus. And then the Lord brought him back in, restored him, filled him with the Holy Spirit. So he's a brand new... He's just had a great revival. You know, several thousand were saved on the day of Pentecost, but he's still trying to grow the church. So you'd think Peter would be trying to make friends, right? You know, go out into the community and tell them what a great church we've got here, you know, the Church of the Apostles there in Jerusalem. Uh, but what does he do? In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, he's, they're coming to him and say, Hey, well, what's going on here? How'd this guy all of a sudden walk? They're confronted with the miraculous and they want to know what happened. What happened to this guy? What did Peter say? He said, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead. Thanks a lot, Peter. You just destroyed our church growth plan. You just insulted the most important people in Jerusalem, all the leaders who've come to find out what happened. We had them interested. We had them baited. They smelled the bait. They came. They saw the miraculous. Here they were ready to be scooped up and you have just told them what wicked sinners they were. My friend, people can't be saved if they don't understand that they are lost. People can't be forgiven if they don't realize they have something they need to be forgiven for. So number one, they were confronted with the miraculous. Number two, they were convicted by their sin. And Peter, I mean Peter laid it out. He said, listen, you want to know how this guy walked? Well, I'll tell you. The God of our fathers, He sent Jesus... His Savior, our Messiah, to this, to this earth. And by the way, when He sent Him, you know what? You denied Him. And you, you, you uh, gave Him to the Romans. And, and Pilate was going to let Him go, but you denied Him again. And you killed Him. You delivered Him up to them. You abandoned your Messiah that God sent. Peter lays out their sin. And listen, my friend, you can't... Share the gospel. The gospel is meaningless if sin is meaningless. You ever thought about that? Just tear the cross down. It's offensive. It didn't know what the Bible said. The preaching of the cross is an offense. And if you are a self-righteous person and you don't think sin is important, the cross is offensive. But my friend, the cross is precious when we recognize how offensive our sin is. That our sin separates us from God. That we are sinners and the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. Otherwise known as hell. When we recognize and realize that, then the cross becomes precious. We begin to understand why somebody felt impressed to write words like, I will glory in the cross. Or in the cross, in the cross where I first saw the light. Or that song we sang a moment ago, Bird at Calvary. Mercy there was great and pardon was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. I fear that 
For many of us in our modern church, I'm talking to us preachers behind the pulpit as well as in the pew, sin has become the new four-letter word. Sin is an ugly word. Not because sin is ugly, because we don't want to talk about sin. But only when we recognize the seriousness of our sin does the gospel become precious to us. To know that Jesus bore our sin. He took our sin upon Himself. He was beaten for our sin. He died for our sin. His blood was shed to cleanse us from our sin. I tell you, whenever we cast aside and we make light of our sin, we make light of the cross. We make light of Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross. Our sin is important. Our sin separates us from God. And Peter, as he preached this message, he confronted those around them with the miraculous that only God, something only God can do. He shared with them their sin and they were convicted by their sin. But then also, and lastly, they were converted by a message that he shared. And if you look there in verse 15, which I've already read, he says, "...whom God raised from the dead..." of which we are witnesses. He gave them the risen Jesus. I mentioned this before. Not only the risen Jesus, but I love the fact, verse 16, and His name through faith in His name has made this man strong, whom you see and know, yes, the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all, not only a risen Lord, but a residing Lord. As I said a moment ago, people do not need to hear cold facts. They need to be presented with a risen, present Jesus. Yes, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, absolutely, and we need to know what He did, and we need to talk about those facts and learn those facts, but those facts will not save you. Knowing those facts intellectually will not forgive you of your sin. Only faith in the living Jesus, the faith that He offers, for faith is a gift of God, only faith in the living Savior will change your life. Not facts about what happened 2,000 years ago, but being presented with a living Jesus, embracing that living Jesus, as Peter said, listen, that name, the name of Jesus, through faith in that name, has made this man hold and given him his perfect soundness. My friend, that is what changes lives. It is embracing Jesus as a living Savior. Embracing Him as a Savior who lives and reigns today. I love a little chorus that we sometimes sing. He is here. Hallelujah. He is here. Amen. He is here. Holy, holy, I will bless His name again. He is here. Listen closely. Hear Him calling out your name. He is here. You can touch Him. You will never be the same. Jesus is here. Jesus is here in this room right now. Everybody doesn't see Him. Everybody doesn't recognize Him. Because you know why? You see Jesus through the eyes of faith. Only through the eyes of faith do you see Jesus. You say, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see Jesus. I don't feel Jesus. You're not looking through the eyes of faith. He's here. He is here. He wants to be present in your home. He wants to be present in your life. But you have to see Him. You have to experience Him through the eyes and through the vessel, the medium of faith.
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We come to God by faith. You say, I don't have faith. Oh, yes, you do. If the Bible's true, you do. The Bible says, For unto every man a measure of faith is given. God has given you faith. You just have to access it. You just have to tap. You don't so I don't have much faith. Well, Jesus said all you need is a grain of a mustard seed. Mustard seed is so small you can't hardly see it. You don't need much faith. Just take the little faith you have and put it in Jesus. Everybody has faith. You're here, you're in a car, most of you. I didn't see anybody come up walking today. I don't believe you did. I know nobody came up walking down the road. So you know what? You drove all the way here by faith. And you're going to go out in that car, you're going to crank it up, and you're going to have faith that it's going to crank up and take you back where you want to go. you got faith. You sit down in that bench by faith. I didn't see any of you testing it, see if it would hold you. Some of you probably needed to, but you didn't. You sat down by faith. By faith. Listen, you have faith. Don't say you don't have faith. You do have faith. You have faith, you just choose what you're going to put it in. And my friend, take that faith you've got and put it in Jesus. And you'll see Him. Put that faith in Jesus, you will experience Him. You will feel His presence. So, the risen Lord, the residing Lord, and I love verse 17, the redeeming Lord. He says, you now therefore, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets that the Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. Repent therefore... And be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He is a redeeming Lord. He gave them a message not only... He told them about their sin, but He didn't leave them there, thank God. He didn't say, you know, you're a sinner. You know, there's no hope for you. He told them they were sinners. And they agreed. But He says, there's an answer to your sin. Repent. Turn. Turn. Say no to sin. Turn from your sin. Repent that the time of of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know, talking about our sin, I I heard a story once of a a country man who came to his preacher. He was just a country preacher. And and he he was under conviction, heavy conviction. He says, preacher, he said, "I've, I've done just about everything there is you can do except kill a man. And the preacher said, oh, you did that too. You did that too. Talking about his sins, nailing Jesus to the cross. So we're all guilty, but thank God, God doesn't leave us in that guilty state. He promises us redemption. He promises us restoration through repentance. And so that's exactly what Peter preached. He says, repent therefore, that the time of refreshing may come. And you know, verse 20, he gave, gave us a sure hope. He says, And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. He said, listen, Jesus is going to come back. God wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to restore you, make you whole again spiritually. And one day Jesus is going to return. Either we're going to go by the way of the grave or He's going to come back through the clouds and you're going to be reunited with Him. How can I share my faith? That's the question. Number one, you can't share what you don't have. If you know Jesus, you can share Him. Just tell people what He's done for you. 
Just tell people how He's changed your life. You say, Brother William, He hadn't done anything for me. He hadn't changed my life. Well, you don't know Him. You don't know Him then. You show me a person who came face to face with Jesus whose life wasn't changed, and my friend, you'll win that argument. When people met Jesus, they did one of two things. They either were changed, or boy, He really made them angry. He he really made them mad. And they wanted to destroy Him. When you meet Jesus, something has to happen. So my friend, if you know Jesus, and you know He changed your heart, but you say, I I just don't feel I'm qualified. Listen, share with people what Jesus has done for you. Give them the miraculous that they cannot deny. What Jesus has done for you. Secondly, conviction. You know one of the greatest ways that we can convict people is not to go around wagging our finger in their face. You just live right. Isn't that always aggravating? You know, I've been on both sides of that equation. You know, so you're, you're doing something you know is wrong and you come up with somebody that don't do what you do. And you know, your first thing, you go try to talk them into doing like you're doing so you won't feel bad about it. And when you can't talk them into doing like you're doing, that, that is a thorn in your side. There is nothing more aggravating than being a sinner and being in the presence of a person who won't sin, who's living a righteous life. So my friend, do you want to convict people of their sin? You don't have to wag your finger in their face. You just live right. You got some liars around you? Try telling the truth in front of them all the time. Huh? I mean, it, just live right. Live right, and that's one of the greatest convictions that God can place on any sinner's heart is the presence of a righteous man or a righteous woman. Now, I know none of us are perfect. Absolutely not. But you make the decision that I'm going to live with the power of the Holy Spirit as best I can. I'm going to serve God and honor Him. And then the conversion, the message. Don't be afraid to tell people about Jesus. Just let God use you. Let God use you. Invite people to church, absolutely. But say, Lord, when you wake up every day, I challenge you. Say, Lord, help me today to be a witness to somebody. Let me be an example. Let them see the miraculous in me. Let my life be such that it convicts others who are sinning around me, Father. And Lord, let them hear the message of the gospel either through what I say, what I do, or just simply my presence, Father. I want to be a witness for you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You in the name of Jesus, the Savior of our world and the Savior of each of us that have accepted Him. And Father, I pray for every individual who is here. If there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray, Father, that they might come to You today. Lord, if there's someone who's been convicted, Lord, I pray that You would draw them to make the decision they need to make today. I pray that You would empower all of us with Your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would be Your servants filled with Your Spirit to walk, Lord, in Your will and to be an example for You, to be a light to a dark world, to be salt to a world that needs it. Father, we pray for Your power to rest upon us. Let us be obedient to You. Have Your will in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the musicians sing and we sing a hymn, what's the hymn number? 332. Hymn number 332. If you're here today, maybe you want to come pray. Maybe you need to make a decision. You just obey the Holy Spirit as we sing.